You may be, if you would please remain standing, if you would. Our scripture comes out of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 32, verses 21 through, excuse me, verses 22 through 31. Mary is coming to read our scripture for us this morning. It's found there in your pew Bibles uh, on page 25 of your pew Bible, if you would like to find that very easily. Again, Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent them all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, but please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. So there Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. Now, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The struggle is real. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that, that phrase, the, the struggle, the struggle is real? The, uh, that, that's a phrase, it's a, a, a somewhat modern phrase that uh, it really, it means, um, it really is used jokingly, it's, it's hyperbole when it is used, it's, it's, it's used when there is a kind of an ironic frustration, especially when it comes to first world problems, first world probs, as they, as they say, the struggle is real, and so I found a number of images that, that help us to understand that the struggle is real. <laughs> you can see someone um, heating up a piece of pizza with a, with a, with a clothes iron and a, and a, and a hairdryer as well, or uh, someone put the struggle is real on, on, on this picture instead of a fire extinguisher is a bottle, bottle of water or, or um, trying to fry bacon with, with a, a hair straightener as well. Or this actually is my, is my favorite. I don't know if you all have watched the movie, but that's, that's my favorite meme of the struggle, of the struggle is real. If you haven't watched the movie, you're totally and absolutely confused. If you have watched the movie, I see a grin on your face. Well, but I mean, so, so that, that phrase, the struggle is real, I mean, it, it, it's, it's said jokingly, but, but we, know, we know what it is to have a real struggle, don't we? Instead of saying the struggle is real, um, well, we know, we know that the struggle is indeed oftentimes real. I mean, we know what it is to struggle in life. We know what it's like 
uh, to, lose, uh, to lose a spouse. We know, we know what that's like, so many of us. We know, what's at, we, we know what it's like to, to lose a child. We know, we know what it's like, to, to, as we have already heard, to struggle through the loss of a job. We know what it's like to be brand new to a brand new town and you know no one. We know what it's like when you're brand new to a church wondering what, who in the world these crazy people are. We, we, know, we know what that's like. We know, we know the reality of struggles. We know the reality of struggles when, when, we've, when we've had a doctor's diagnosis that that is not what we wanted at all. We know the reality of life when... When our finances collapse all around us, we know the reality of life when, when mental illness hits us hard. Indeed, this, the, struggle, the struggle is real. Today, we're continuing our sermon series um, entitled Roots, getting back to our beginnings, just like the, the roots of a tree ground that tree and, and give it stability. So there are some stories in the Old Testament that also ground us in the faith and give us roots as well. And so as we have been looking over these stories, if we've been studying these stories in the Old Testament, we've studied, <clears throat> excuse me, we've studied the story of Abraham. And we saw how God called Abraham to go. He didn't tell him where he was going to go, but he said, go, I'm going to, be, I'm going to uh, give you a, a great land and you and your wife, even though you're well beyond the years of childbearing, you're going to be the father of a great nation. They didn't have any children at that point. They struggled for 25 years and finally 25 years later, their prayers were answered and God followed through on his promise. And we saw how the, how, what type of faith it took for Abraham to live that kind of life. Last week, we saw how that promised child, Isaac, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, and God called Abraham to be willing to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And, and so we saw last week that those things that we hold most dear to us, those things that are the greatest gifts of God in our lives, those things that hold the greatest blessings also are oftentimes the greatest temptations to become idols in our lives. And that's what Isaac had become for Abraham until God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on an altar. Now, we know the rest of the story. Abraham obviously didn't. We know the rest of the story that an angel stopped Abraham from, from sacrificing his son Isaac. But Abraham went on to that mountainside with with, what, with one Lord, and that was his son Isaac, but he came down the mountainside with one true Lord, and that was the one true God. And we saw how until and unless we are willing to give up our most prized possessions and those things that we hold most dear to our hearts, they will become idols. And until and unless we are ready to give them up, we will never truly have God as the Lord of our lives. And so today, we continue, we continue this story. We continue this story of Abraham's offspring. Of, uh, so today, we're looking at the story of Abraham's grandson, uh, Jacob, who was born to his favorite son, or his son, Isaac. And uh, Jacob was, uh, the, the story of Jacob is, is a fascinating, fascinating story. It comprises, Jacob's story comprises 25 chapters of the book of Genesis. Almost one half of Genesis takes up the story of Jacob. I mean, you, you don't really think about that. You think, of, you think of Abraham as being the main character in the book of Genesis, but we find over almost a half, 
almost one half of Genesis is taken up with the story of Jacob. And so I'm, I'm not going to, believe me, I'm going to take 25, I'm not going to go through all 25 chapters, but there are some highlights that I think that we have to understand in order to come to our story today. So, so Jacob was born, uh, he was a twin. His, his, his older brother, born just minutes before him, was named Esau. And they named him Esau because when he was born, he was covered in hair. He was a, he was a hairy little boy. He had hair all over his arms. And, and so, uh, uh, so uh, someone who, who had a lot of hair, that, the, I mean, the, the Hebrew word for that was Esau. And so they named him Esau. And while, when Esau was born, when Esau was born, as he, uh, as he was born, there was a, there was a little hand that was, that was grabbing onto his heel. And that was the hand of his younger brother, Jacob. And the, and, the, and, the, and the word Jacob in Hebrew means the one who grasps. The one who grasps. Or another way of understanding that is the one who pulls the leg. Um, think about it now. If somebody pulls your leg, what does that mean? <laughs> they're, they're a trickster, aren't they? And so his name literally meant trickster. From the moment he was born, he was known as the younger brother who was always part of tricking someone else. Now, according to that culture, even though they were twins, Esau was the oldest brother. And Esau was guaranteed to inherit at least 50% of the inheritance, at least 50%. If there were multiple children, uh, Esau, the oldest son, would get at least 50%, and then the rest of the inheritance would be split among all of the rest of the children. If there were only two children, the oldest was typically got at least 75% of the inheritance, and it always went to the younger, especially the, the, the oldest son. We saw that last week. The oldest son was the family. Because the oldest son, after the parents passed away, the oldest son took the place of the head of the family, and the oldest son provided for not just his wife and family, but also he provided for all of his other siblings. And so the oldest son was the family. So as they grew older, as they grew older, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story how, how Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright or out of his inheritance, but the trickster lived up to his name. He tricked his older brother Esau out of his inheritance. Esau was, was hungry one day, and he traded his inheritance for a bowl of stew. And so the younger brother then had the inheritance of the older brother, at least 50%. And just because there were, there were just two of them at that time, he, he was going to receive at least 75% of the inheritance. Years on down the line, as their, as their father Isaac became old uh, and, and, and could no longer see, yet again, yet again, he was ready to give his final blessing to his oldest son. Now, Isaac knew... Isaac knew that, that Jacob had cheated or had tricked Esau out of, out of the family's inheritance. And so Isaac, because he loved Esau the most, Isaac wanted to give Jacob, or he wanted to give Esau that final blessing, that blessing of God upon his life. And with that blessing also came some legal responsibilities to help care for the family as well. And so once again, once again, that trickster, Jacob, the one who was the leg puller, he tricked even his father 
to giving him the blessing instead of the older Esau. The trickster, time and time and time again, was tricking others. As the story progresses, we find, uh, we find the, the trickster continuing to trick others and to fool others and even to manipulate and to lie to others. At one point, he, the, the tables are turned on him just a bit when he believed that he was, he was getting ready to, to marry this beautiful, beautiful woman, Rebecca. Instead, the, his father-in-law uh, slipped in the, uh, the, the, the older sister. As the scripture says, uh, she had weak eyes, meaning uh, she was pretty homely. <laughs> Laban tricked the trickster. After Jacob had tricked his brother out of both the inheritance, the birthright, and out of his father's blessing, the last thing that Esau said to Jacob was was this, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you because of what you have done to me. You have stolen my inheritance. You have stolen the blessing of our fathers. If I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. And so here in chapter 32, we pick up the story. Jacob has heard that his brother is wanting to see him. And Jacob knows that the last thing that his brother Esau had told him was this, that if he ever sees him, he's going to kill him. And so he is afraid. So afraid that as he comes to the, to the river Jabbok, and here is a, um, I believe we have a map here of the river Jabbok. You can see here on our map, you have... Uh, on, on the south, you have the Dead Sea, and on the north, the Sea of Galilee, and the river that connects the two of them is the Jordan River, and highlighted there in red is the Jabbok River. And so Jacob has this plan that he is going to divide his family, his, his, his two wives and their children, and all of, his, all of his herds and all of his livestock and all of his possessions, he's going to divide them up into, into two sections. And the next day, when he goes out to meet his estranged brother Esau, he's first going to send out one part of his family, and they are going to carry with them lots of gifts to give to this brother Esau, hoping that 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 part of his family would appease his younger brother. Because he thinks to himself, well, if his brother really is seeking revenge, and if if he kills his family, at least it will only be part of his family that he kills. And surely word will, be, will get back to Jacob that, that Esau is out for revenge and, and Jacob would then would be able to escape with the rest of the half of his family. So his plan was to send half of his family to go greet Esau along with a, a number of gifts. And then, and then if there was peace, then he was going to send the rest of his family. And then finally, finally would Jacob would follow them all. And so we pick up here in chapter 32 that Jacob there is, is there by himself. He has sent his, his, a part of his family on one side of the river and, and, and the other part of his family on another side of the river, and he is on one bank of the river by himself. It's a confusing story as you read it. There are a number of questions that come to my mind as, as, I, as I read um, as I as I read this as I read this story, there's there's a there's a there's there's a number of questions. There's a number of questions. So they begin to fight. 
There's a stranger that came to Jacob in the, middle of the, in the middle of the night, and they began to fight. And my question always is, uh, really, how big of a fight is this? <laughs> I, mean, if, I mean, it's later revealed that, that this stranger in the middle of the night either is an angel or God himself. And Jacob understood that it was God himself. Really, how much of a fight is that? As I was asking the question, if, if, if say, I, I got into a wrestling match with God, who do you think is going to prevail? <laughs> no doubt God's going to prevail. But as I have been reading through this passage of Scripture over the past week, I've remembered uh, when, when my children were young. I mean, they were, they were young children, three, four, five years old, and I would, I would come home, I'd come home from work, and they would, they, would, they would come and wrap their arms around my legs, and they wouldn't wrestle with Dad. So I'd get down on the floor, and I'd, I'd wrestle around with them. And, uh, so who do you think was the strongest between uh, little three-year-old Lawson and me? There's no doubt. Now Lawson's taken. Yeah, he's, already, he's pointing to himself. Yeah, Lawson thought at three he was a lot stronger. But no doubt, no doubt who was stronger. And really, was that a wrestling match? No. No, not at all. And I remember, I remember Morgan and Lawson, they would, they would, they would squeal out, we've got you, Daddy, we've got you, Daddy. But really, who had who? You see, as we, were, as we were wrestling on the floor, what it, what it really was is we were just playing with one another. It was a way for us to connect with one another. I'd been gone all day long at work, and they could hardly wait. They could hardly wait to see their daddy. And the best thing that we could do was to sit in the middle of the floor and wrestle around with each other. I think maybe that's what was happening in this story. I think maybe that was what was happening in this story. And then as they are wrestling, as they're wrestling, then God turns to Jacob and says, what is your name? Now, we're, now we're, I mean, we understand that God knows us. The, the New Testament says even the very hairs of our head are counted. The, the, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that God doesn't know about. God knows our name. So wh- what is this about God asking Jacob his name? So God asked Jacob his name, and he states it very clearly, Jacob, trickster, this is who I am. I am deceiver. But God, because Jacob had wrestled with him, God changed his name from trickster to the one who is connected with God, the one who wrestles with God. And what I have found is this. When we struggle with God, as we struggle with God, our names are changed from broken to healed, from sinner to saint, from enemy to child. Now that only happens when we are committed to wrestling through our issues, wrestling with our faith, staying connected with God. You see, when we come upon an enemy, when we come upon an enemy, there are there are two ways that we can, we can confront an enemy or two, two ways that we can even confront a problem. One is we can turn around and we can flee. We can turn around and run and say, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm going to run away from my enemy. I'm going to run away from, the, from that thing that I'm wrestling with or I'm going to run away from my problem. The other option is to stay and confront it and stay and wrestle with it. Some of you have heard me tell this story. Uh, the very, at the end of my um, time at my first church, I had, 
I had been at this church for, for five years and uh, had, had become very close to a woman by the name of Beth. Uh, Beth and Kenny were, were dear friends of, of my wife and I, and uh, Beth had had breast cancer a number of years before, nine years before we got there, she had had breast cancer, and she was not supposed to last, she was not supposed to live through that battle of breast cancer. Uh, after she recovered from breast cancer, it really was a miracle of God. The doctors told her that it likely would come back, and when it came back, it would come back with a vengeance. And so over the next nine years, she and Kenny um, were, were happily married, and they adopted a, a young little boy, and, and uh, they, Beth loved being a mom, and she loved being married to Kenny, and Beth and I had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of things in common. She was the youngest of five kids, as I was. Uh, her older, one of her older sisters was married to a United Methodist pastor who was my first pastor that I remember having at my home church. I had a deep connection with Beth. In our last year there at that church in Woodward, um, Beth was diagnosed yet again with breast, breast cancer, and, and she died. And I, as her, as her pastor and as her friend as well, I watched her go through that process, and it was absolutely heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to see what it did to her husband. It was heartbreaking to see what it did to her, to her son as well. And over, over the next two years, I was extremely angry with God. I was angry because I knew, I knew that God could have healed Beth, and I didn't understand why. I, I, I believe that God has the power to heal. It was a deep and dark time for my faith, really a deep and dark time for my faith. I was extremely angry. I was extremely bitter at God because of, because of what God had done to my friend Beth. Wouldn't it have been better had the birth mother of this little adopted boy, wouldn't it be better for her to die? She was an awful person. Beth was a saint. A number of things that I found. It took me a few years to learn this. One was that it's okay to be angry with God. It's okay. We find it in the Psalms, by the way. I'm astounded at how many times in the Psalms we have the psalmist shaking an angry fist at God. It's okay to be angry with God. It's all right. But you see, what I found is that if we would just simply uh, continue to wrestle or to struggle through our faith in that process, God's going to bring us out on the other side and we're going to be changed. You see, had I shut myself off in my relationship with God, had I allowed that struggle with God to become bitterness and cut myself off in my relationship, I never would have been able to grow any further. In fact, in fact, I probably would have begun to, to lose, some, lose some ground in my relationship with God. But instead, I just simply stayed and I struggled with my anger. I struggled through my anger. And what I quickly found was that God understood my anger much more than my family understood my anger. They too were hurt because they too loved Kenny and Beth and Adam. They too knew what it was, knew what it was to be angry. But when I came home and I took my, and I brought my, my anger home with me, they didn't understand that. But when I shook an angry fist at God, God was big enough to take that. And I struggled through it. By the way, I never got an answer. I never got an answer to my question, why, God? Why Beth? 
and not someone else. I never, I never received an answer other than this. I think it's the exact same answer that Job in the Old Testament received. We're just simply called to trust God. There's some things that are unanswerable. We're simply called to trust God. But what I have found, again, when we struggle through our faith, when we wrestle with God, we are changed from, from being broken to healed, from being sinners to saints, from being an enemy of God to being a very child of God. So as his name was changed, his hip had been, had been touched. His hip had been wrenched out of socket. It goes on to say that that's why the, uh, that, that is why to this day the people of Israel do not, need, do not eat the, the meat surrounding the thigh that is on the hip socket because, because God touched the hip socket of Jacob's hip and caused it to go out of sorts. He, was, he literally was changed after he wrestled with God. I think this story teaches us as well that despite my circumstances, and I think this is what I think this is a lesson it's intended to teach us, and my prayer is that we can all say this that despite my circumstances, I will hold on. I will trust God. I will not let go no matter what. And I've seen so many of you do that. In my two years here, I've seen so many of you do that. Difficult times. Changes in jobs. Illnesses. Death. Despair. Frustration. Disappointment. Pain. I've seen so many of you be able to proclaim, in spite of my circumstances, no matter what's going on in my life, I'm committed. I am com absolutely committed to holding on to God, to trusting God, to never letting go. That's what faith is about. That's the faith of Jacob, the deceiver, the trickster, who's, no, who's now no longer known as the trickster, the deceiver, the shyster, the leg puller. No, instead, he is known as a child of God. May we also be known as a child of God as we hold on and never let go. Would you bow with me? Oh God, indeed there are some difficult days for so many of us. And there are seasons of our lives when we have been so overwhelmed with despair that we don't know where to turn. And there are times when we have been tempted, yet made to feel guilty. We've been tempted to shake an angry fist at you. God, help us to never let go of our faith. Help us to never cease to struggling through our questions and our despair, our disappointment and pain. Help us to know, oh God, when we embrace you, when we hold on to you, when we trust you, when we never let go, oh God, you will change us. And you'll change our names from, from enemy to child.
child. From sinner to saint. From broken to whole. Today, oh God, we commit to always hold, upon, hold on to you and never let go. We pray these things through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen.